Amen? This book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct because we are convinced the living water changes everything one life at a time. And I have been talking about that because I've been talking about what needs to drive us. And if you've been following me on Facebook, uh, I got a lot of flack for putting that Ford Mustang dashboard on my Facebook. So all you ones who are Chevy fans will be happy to know that today I put a Corvette on there. So all of you will be able to root for that. But the point is, as they've looked at that steering wheel and that dashboard, we're talking about the why of our church. The why has to drive everything we do. And it is that, that we are convinced. We're not just persuaded or think that we might do it. We're convinced the living water, as it has changed us, changes everything one life at a time. You can look and you can say, how are we ever going to meet the task which God has called us to do? And I will tell you, start one life at a time. Who has God placed in front of you? Who are the family members that God has that he wants you to talk to? Who are your uh, co-workers? Who are your neighbors? Who are you going to school with? That is your sphere of influence that God is wanting you to start with. Amen? So today I want to talk about Ready, set, go in the light of the living water changes everything. It changes everything. Now you say, well, why specifically that? Because I do believe, especially in our country, we have made the gospel an easy believism where people are mentally assenting to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but never coming to a point of conversion and change. People are assenting to a gospel mentally, and they never have their hearts moved. They never have their hearts changed. They aren't convinced. They said a prayer because they think that magically they'd be able to get into heaven but they never have an intent of changing their life. Jesus in the scripture says a person ought to sit down and consider the cost. Now I'm not telling you that the gospel we preach needs to be hard. We've talked about that. If we're harsh in presenting the gospel, shame on us. That is not the heart of Christ. We should not be making it difficult for people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked to the Pharisees about that and said, don't do it. But what we are talking about is making sure that we don't make the gospel just this magical prayer that you come forward and say once, and then hallelujah, you're part of the club. We're talking about transformational change. That's why Vision 180 is important. Wow. It even sounded like it was musical. <laughs> That's why Vision 180 is important. Because it goes along with the why of our church. God has called us to invest to invest in others, to invest in us. Why? Because God's answer to reach the world is us. And I will tell you again, until you become involved in God's plan at reaching others, you will never experience true Christian joy. God's not wanting just your church leaders to bring people to Jesus. God's wanting us to bring people to Jesus. God's wanting us to walk with them. If you talk to Jim and Linda DeShiel, 
to talk to them about the Come Follow Me program. That's our discipleship program. And the reason that it's important is because we're not just having people being saved and then saying, well, I hope the church does something with them. We're coming alongside you and equipping you to walk with them. Because that's biblical, that we equip you so that you can equip those that God has placed in your life to bring to Christ. Amen? All right. Having trouble with my Invisaligns today. They want to make me speak with a lisp, so just get over it. (laughs) Those of you who are listening by live stream, I'll try my best. (laughs) Okay, looking at the scripture, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. If you'll roll that for me, Matt, that would be great. And he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, gatherer. Changing to a different translation. (laughs) And he was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd. For he was small in stature, and he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried. And came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He is gone to, the get, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone out of anything... I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, Make sure you... Uh, keep your finger there because we're going to be going making some references back to these uh, places in Scripture because they're very important as we continue talking about this story, especially where Jesus at the end says, this man is a son of Abraham. We want to talk about what does that mean? What is Jesus saying? The first thing we know is that Zacchaeus was an incredible guy. Number one, he was a Jew, but he was a Jew who was collecting for a different government. He was collecting for the Romans. And it says he was not only a tax collector, it says he was a chief tax collector, which means he had others below him. Then, of course, it says this. He was rich. He was wealthy. He was a wealthy man. Now, I will tell you that in the church of Jesus Christ in America, we struggle with both uh, spectrums of the end. We struggle with those who we think externally, and they don't look good, they're maybe dirty, maybe they're in poverty, they don't dress well, they don't have a lot of money, and sometimes we cringe when they walk through the door. But I will tell you, just as many cringe when the one who God has blessed with wealth walk through the door. See, we like everybody to be like us. And when one is not either one side or the other, we have a tendency to judge them. But God says they're His, and He died for them. Amen? 
So God loves both. God loves all. And God has a plan for all. Amen? So as we look at Zacchaeus, we know these things about him. He was a tax collector, a chief tax collector. He was not liked by the Jewish people. How would you feel if someone was coming to you, and by the way, tax collectors had the ability to collect beyond what they were needing and pocket the rest. They were, as we would coin the phrase in our country, shysters, charlatans. They ripped people off. Okay, and they were good at it, and they had the authority to do it by the Roman government. And so Zacchaeus was not liked. Zacchaeus was different in every way. But I looked for a picture, and I thought, Lord, how would we get that across? Because for us to think of a Jewish uh, chief tax collector, the picture might be a little bit difficult. But maybe this one would help you relate. Now, there's something about this gentleman, whoever he is, that seems to say he's got something on his mind and I don't think it's in my best interest. And he obviously has, he's well off. Now, this is who Jesus came and the scripture says he was dealing with Zacchaeus. Now, he wasn't a, a big man, but he was a wealthy man. Your, your uh, translation may use the term wealthy. Uh, I don't know. Mine uses the term rich. But we all know what that means. He was well off. But instead of being well off, by the blessing of God, he was well off because of his own way of getting there. There is a difference. Amen? All right. So let's talk about this uh, thing that we struggle with when someone who is not like us comes into the church. And especially dealing with this aspect of the uh, side of the spectrum where someone comes in that may be uh, very blessed, has a lot of possessions. Jesus, talking about uh, the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler was just back a chapter in Luke 18. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked them in that passage of Scripture, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins to tell him. And of course, we, if we haven't heard the story, the rich young ruler in Luke 18, that uh, starts at the very first part of the chapter, talks about that he went away from Jesus and he would not do the thing that Jesus asked. See, he had kept all the commandments. Jesus, he said to Jesus, I've kept all those. And Jesus then said, one thing you lack. Now, unless we get hung up on, wow, that one thing, I wonder, we, we sometimes miss the whole point trying to catch and strain at a gnat. It's true. Sometimes I think we just need to read the scripture very frankly for what it says. And what Jesus was pointing at was the one thing that he wouldn't give up. It may be something different for you and I. But I will tell you this, Jesus will put his finger on it, whatever it is. It may, may not be wealth with you, but he will put his finger on the one thing you don't want to give up. And he will ask that question he did of the rich young ruler, and of course... The, the parable is that he went away very unhappy. And then that's where we're picking up the conversation here because the disciples there said, well, who is it that can be saved? No one can be saved. If you look at our country, we're blessed. We're rich. We are wealthy. 
I know some of you may have heard this before, but it does us well to remember that if you have loose change in your car, your house, somewhere, you're more wealthy than 85% of the world. That gives you a perspective, doesn't it? So, uh, it's, and, and Jesus says this in 18, 25 through 27. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things impossible with men are possible with God. So, uh, oftentimes, especially when I was younger and, and had no idea, I didn't grow up in church, so when I heard this, I thought, a camel going through the eye of a needle, forget it. It isn't going to happen. But if you know and study a little bit, uh, it, it, the eye of the needle was actually a place on the wall in Jerusalem where the people entering into the city had to unload everything off their camel and send the camel through. It was done for defense. <coughs> Excuse me. And so... Uh, it gives you a different perspective because as a kid, I always looked at the eye of a needle and thought, that ain't happening. <laughs> and I thought, well, the disciples were right. Nobody's making it. But what Jesus is talking about was culturally relevant to them. Do you know what? When you're sharing the gospel, you, you need to use parables that are relevant to people. That's true. If we try to use something that they can't grab a hold of, it's useless. Use something that they can understand. That's what Jesus did here. So as hard as that is, it is possible. And with God, all things are possible. So I just think that it's awesome that Jesus talks about that and then the disciples get to watch it with their own eyes. Is that awesome? Remember I've told you that Jesus never asks us to do something that he doesn't show by example. So here he talks to the disciples about the fact that yes, it's hard maybe for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, but with God it's possible. And then, in case they missed it, they run across Zacchaeus. And they get to see it with their own eyes. They get to see the power of God change a heart. That's awesome. <coughs> now, I don't know if you have one of those people in your life whom you say, if this person were to come to God... It would have to be a earth-shaking, changing thing. But I tell you, that's what God is in the business of doing. That one that you think is impossible, God can get a hold of. God can reach. And I go to the story in the Gospel of John. John, the 21st chapter. It is after the resurrection and Jesus is coming to the disciples and it is there that they're on the shore, they haven't caught anything. It's where Peter said, look, I'm going fishing because it's what he knew to do. And Jesus, he didn't think was there, so he went back to what he thought he could do well. And while he was there, they caught nothing. Jesus arrives on the scene, the resurrected Jesus. And he tells them where to put their net. And when they start to draw it up, they catch not only fish, they catch a bunch of fish. And this is a miraculous catch. You say, well, Brian, how do you know? Well, number one, anyone who knows when you go fishing, especially with a net, that you catch all kinds of fish. You catch little ones. You catch medium-sized ones, 
and you catch big ones. But what is different about this catch? It says they were all large fish. They were all large. Jesus, uh, it says there was 153. There was a number. And then it says even with the large number, the net wasn't broken. Now, you know what that tells me? Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish. A hundred and fifty-three. And I will say it again. Why do numbers matter? Because every number represents a life to the Lord. Every number represents somebody coming to Jesus. Every number represents a life that has been changed, a heart that is following after the master. And even though the net was full, and even though it was full of large fish, the net wasn't broken. And I will tell you, the gospel net of Jesus will never be broken until he says it's time. We can pull in as many as we can. The net will never be torn. The net will never tear. Even if it's full of large fish, it will not tear until that day. Now, if you look in the book of Genesis, talking about the flood, if you look at the flood and read through that account, something interesting. When the day of the flood came, guess who closed the door of the ark? It specifically says, and the Lord closed the door. So who are we to determine when the door is closed? We are to work until he comes. When he closes the door, it's closed. Till then, the net needs to be filled. Amen? Well, Zacchaeus hurried. It says when Jesus got to the spot that Zacchaeus didn't say, well, okay, I guess, you know, give me a minute. It sure is a long ways up here. It was hard to get up here anyway, Jesus, to see you. Now you're wanting me to come down. No, it says Zacchaeus hurried down. I can see him shimming down that tree really quick. He got to it fast. He said that he received him with gladness and he hurried about it. There was a, a, a readiness in Zacchaeus. I talked about it last week, if you remember, that there are those who Jesus has uh, gotten to where they're ready. When you talk to them, they don't, they don't lollygag around, they run. And that was the case. Now, those Zacchaeus could have been totally missed. And in fact, if it were up to the religious leaders of the day, he would have been missed. They would have totally disregarded him. But Jesus knew that Zacchaeus climbed that sycamore tree for a reason. Interesting enough, when... Zacchaeus did come. It says in verse number 7, and when they saw it, when they saw, I think, two things. Number one, that Jesus stopped and talked to him. They were incensed. They always wanted Jesus to talk to them. They weren't interested in what he had to say. They just wanted him to give, uh, that wanted Jesus to give them fodder so they could sit and debate him and charge him and all that. But Jesus didn't give them the time of day. So I think when Jesus stopped to talk to Zacchaeus, they were incensed. What is he doing? How, uh, how dare he stop and talk to this 
Jewish man who is a chief tax collector against us. I know it is so easy for us. Hear, hear your pastor's heart. Lest we read the scripture and we think, I can't believe that. I can't believe those Pharisees would be that dull, that hard, that I'm telling you, lest we guard our own hearts, it happens to us. It happens to us. We need to have the eyes of the Spirit and not looking at it with our flesh. It's important. So it says they begin to, to grumble in verse number 7. They began to be upset. And in fact, they said, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They started really name-calling. Interesting enough, in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus was getting ready to go out and, and uh, they were headed into a Samaritan village. And in the Samaritan village, the disciples were not really warmly received. And by the time Jesus got there, James and John had the answer. <laughs> James and John said, I'll tell you what, Lord, call down fire from heaven and burn them up. <laughs> and in fact, instead of that, it says that Jesus rebuked them. And he said, you don't realize the spirit you're walking in. Now, it doesn't tell us what it was, but I'm pretty sure from my own evaluation of my heart that they were in full-blown carnality. <laughs> they were in the flesh. They were in the, the spirit of the flesh. The flesh when it doesn't get a response, wants to make people. And God doesn't need our help. Okay? And so Jesus said, you don't know what kind of a spirit you're, you're speaking that in. But then he says this, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. It's not that God couldn't have called down fire. God sent Jesus so he wouldn't have to put people in the fire. <laughs> he called and asked Jesus to come so he could save you out of the fire. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so what did Jesus do? Jesus simply went on to another village. Well, now that says a lot to us. When you don't get a response that you think you ought to, please don't call down fire from heaven. <laughs> please just move along and allow God to lead you to the next village because you will find someone who God has made hungry. Remember, there will be those who are thirsty. And if they aren't, just be the salt. Let them get a little more thirsty. <laughs> Amen. Well, now, here's the thing as we look at the last part of this portion of Scripture, starting at verse number 8. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, when, they, when he saw the people grumbling, when he saw what they had done, what happened is Zacchaeus, his heart was genuine. And he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything. Now that's a heart that's repented. He said, If I have cheated, I think the NIV uses, if I've cheated anybody, and I like the word defraud, I have to say. If I've purposely, wrongfully defrauded somebody, if I've ripped them off, he didn't say, I'll repay what I owe. 
Zacchaeus said, I'll pay it back four times the amount. That's a heart that said, I understand, number one, that my sin is great. And I'm in the presence of someone who's holy. Amen? And sometimes I think that our hearts need to be reminded of that as believers. That we are in the presence of a holy God. You know, the, the book of Ecclesiastes says, when you go into the house of God, guard your heart and your words. Don't be careless just to blurt things out. Because God is there and He hears you. Now, I understand that, that when I talk about having a, 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 a fear of God, that if you don't understand the right concept, fear not as God's going to hit you with a hammer... It's fear that God is holy and he loves me, but he is worthy of respect and honor and glory. And I don't flippantly just say, well, God will forgive me. Who cares? I say, God, you're holy and therefore I humble myself and I recognize that I, as David said in The book of Psalm 51, I and I alone have sinned against you. Zacchaeus wasn't looking at the other people's sin. He he could have said, well, Lord, look at what they're saying about me. No, he said, look, Lord, if I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay them back four times. So what I've said to you, anytime you hear yourself talking about other people's sin, you need to know that it is a direct response to your lack of being in God's presence. When you start becoming acutely aware of your own sin, that's when you'll know that you've been spending time with God. Because God doesn't talk to you about other people's sin. God talks to me about my sin. And he says, this is where the trouble is, son, and this is what you need to do to take care of it. Amen? And so that's what happened with Zacchaeus. He saw his own sin. He saw his own need. And then what happened? It says in verse number 9 that Jesus said to him, Today, salvation! Praise God! Salvation came! It came to him! Not because he was a a good guy, because God forgave him. Salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. And then that transformation took place. See, here's the thing that that is hard for us. With a transformation, it's always hard for us to see the end result. We always see the ugliest part of it. If you put a caterpillar in most people's hands, they will be repulsed. They don't want to touch it. Sometimes it's sticky when they walk on your hand. How many of you have ever experienced that? And then they go from this worm crawling on the ground to this thing that I don't even know what it looks like. But, or how they get there. But then it hangs from wherever it is, and and then it starts. Now, that is the ugliest-looking thing when I see that leg sticking out of a cocoon. That's ugly. Sometimes when God is in the midst of transforming a heart, 
we look and we make a judgment we shouldn't. We say, look at that leg, that's ugly. Let God finish. Let God finish the work. And, and if we could have seen the transformation, we would maybe would have never given Zacchaeus the chance. But Jesus saw what he could be. Jesus saw what he could be. And therefore he stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm staying at your house. Now, see, it's a little easier to grasp this way because here we see the ugly thing at the top, the thing that we really don't know what it is, but there it is, you know, it's kind of whatever. And then we see this, and we think, wow, look at the color, look at how awesome the, they're created, they're so beautiful. But we often don't think of the ugliness they went through to get there. That's usually all we see. Today, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Now, I want to talk about that because I started this this morning by talking about that in our country we have to be careful because we have heard the gospel so much that it becomes an, a really an easy believism. Come down, say the magic words, become part of the Christian club, go out the door and praise the Lord, you're free to go to heaven. But that's not really the gospel I read. The gospel I read says that you need to come down and you need to ask God to forgive you. you there needs to be a, a recognition that you are exchanging. You say, I have nothing to give. Yeah, you do. You have all that ugly sin and all that stuff. You say, I'm not giving that to God. Then he'll never give you new life. That's why I say, if someone isn't ready to stop and say, I'm tired of my sin, they're not ready for Jesus. I'm not trying to be harsh. That's a reality. Uh, we need to pray for them. We need to have compassion on them. But until they recognize they need to give that up, they're not ready. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. But the scripture also talks about many things, and I mentioned Jesus even saying, sit down first and count the cost. And he was talking about the cost of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He says, it's not a, a flippant decision. It's not just an easy thing that you say the magic words and that's it. It's a life change decision. John the Baptist writes in the book of Matthew, verses 8 through 9, chapter 3, this. Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. See, Jesus didn't say he was a son because he just had an easy believism. Jesus said that because he showed it by fruit. He was repenting. He turned and said, God, I'm no longer doing that. I'm going your way. Hallelujah. And when the living water touches you, 
when you've made that decision, when you accept and the water comes in, it changes everything. Like Zacchaeus, like so many others. It changes everything about you. That is transformational change. That's the change that God is wanting us to be involved in. I tell you, you will never experience the full joy of the Lord till you involve yourself in God's kingdom that way. Winning those for Jesus and discipling them, walking with them, it's an awesome thing, one life at a time. Bow your head with me. do want to make a correction the, uh, the uh, reference in Matthew 9 is actually in Luke 9 so if you were taking notes or you missed that would you please make that reference I'm, I apologize for that a typo that's in Luke chapter 9 I missed that so make that note for yourself and I apologize for that let's allow the Lord just a minute as your head's bowed and eyes are closed, <clears throat> I again never want to close a service without asking the Lord to move. But my call is twofold this morning. Number one, if you're here and maybe you're realizing that you need to really call on the Lord and calling on the Lord, meaning that you need to repent. You need to recognize your life without Jesus isn't working. Your life going your own way is not good. And you need to repent. Turn of it. Change. Go a different direction. And you want to give your life to Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity. So would you slip your hand up if that is you I want to pray with you I won't embarrass you I'm going to ask that you come and I want to pray with you and I give a Bible to you but if that's you you want to receive Jesus in your heart just slip your hand up anywhere here today I want to just give you the opportunity yes anyone else anyone else hallelujah all right, in a moment, I'm going to turn my microphone off. I'm going to ask that you come up, and I'm going to pray with you, and I have a Bible I'd like to give to you. But let me ask you this. We talked about the living water last week, those of you who are saved. We talked about how the indwelling of the Spirit is awesome. But how many of you here would say, you know, the world has really kind of put me in a place that I'm very dry. I'm just dry spiritually. Do you know there's more? Maybe you've been filled with the Spirit before, but I'm going to make a call today. Maybe you need to be refilled. You say, well, what does that mean? I'm saying you need to come and have a fresh touch of God's Holy Spirit. You need to have a fresh outpouring on you because you're dry and you need the Lord to give you some life in your spirit. That's what the baptism of the Spirit will do for you. If you're here today as a believer and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if you're in your place and walk with God where you say, God, I could really use a fresh touch of your baptism, I'm going to invite you to come. 
if you're here and you're one of those, would you get up from where you are and come? I want to pray with you. You say, I need more of God's Spirit. I want to be baptized afresh. I want it to be alive and new. Would you come from where you are and say, yes, Lord, I need to be filled with the baptism of your spirit. I need all that you have for me. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I'm going to make one more call. I don't want to miss anybody. If you're here and you either need a first-time baptism of the Spirit or you're coming and saying, God, I need, to be, I need to be refilled, I need to be retouched, you come. Then I want you that are coming for that, you stay at the altar just a minute, Terry, while I pray. Jesus. Hallelujah. Now you that have come here at the altar, how many of you, I, I, I don't, I, just to, is anybody here, you're coming for a first time baptism. You want to be baptized in the spirit. You haven't been, but you want to be. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? I just want to, yes, praise the Lord. Anyone else? Hallelujah. All right. I want to pray first for those who are coming for an infilling, okay, for more, okay? You're coming for a, a fresh dose. Then I'm going to pray with you all. That's awesome. Let's pray. God, for every person here that's come, Lord, they've been filled with your spirit, but they're dry. Lord, you know that at times we uh, cannot uh, walk on yesterday's manna. God, in Jesus' name, God, fill them anew with your spirit. Baptize them, Lord, fresh, I pray. God, in Jesus' name, pour your spirit out on them. Let them, Lord, be filled not just with speaking of other tongues, but with power to be your witnesses in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord.
as the Lord is filling you, and if you have not yet been, do not be discouraged. You continue to call out. The Bible says it is a gift for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. You don't believe if you haven't received, you continue to praise Him. He's going to fill you with power from on high because His Word says so. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, we rejoice. We thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory for all things. Yes, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Now, Lord, as we go out of here, getting ready to package up these cookies and take them to our neighbors, God, I pray that even as we package them, that your spirit would be over them. May they know and experience the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you.